welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi everybody, welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Tara Quintarillo and today I am so thrilled to have Dr. Stuart Sadler with me, who I call the sleep guru, but I'm going to let him introduce himself. Um, welcome Stuart and thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for inviting me Tara, um, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and to speak to you and your listeners. Tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? And why have I managed to get you on here today? I'm Stuart Sadler. I'm a clinical psychologist who specialises in um, sleep, depression and anxiety. And um, the reason I tend to specialise in those three areas is because quite often they form like a bit of a three-legged stool where if there's trouble with one, there might be problems with one or the other. And um, similarly, some of the mechanisms that underpin each of those overlap quite a bit. So quite often we find that even if people don't have an anxiety problem, they they might have some of the uh, mechanisms there that interfere with their sleep. And similarly, if people don't have trouble with depression, there might be similarly some of the behaviours or some of the things that occur in depression that affect their sleep. And sleep, it's a kind of very different area of psychology. It's uh, you know, sleep medicine in itself, it's an entire massive area that's very different in its approach. Uh, it's not just talking about thoughts and feelings about sleep. There's very practical things that go with it too. Do you know what? That's what really struck me. So I, as part of my core training, we had sleep was introduced, but exactly as you said, it was introduced in terms of if you have anxiety or depression or a mental health problem, it may impact your sleep. And it went straight into strategies to manage, but there wasn't a lot about the science and physiology behind it. And I did a seminar probably about eight years ago, and it literally changed my view on sleep and how I discuss it with patients. And the person that did that seminar said to us, how often as psychologists do you literally spend a session on sleep? And no hands went up and it literally changed my practice because I was like I did used to do it as a tick box mm. how's your sleep fine are you okay dropping off do you wake in the night right we're done and this is the reason I wanted to have you on today is to kind of talk about why sleep's important the dreaded p word sleep in the pandemic but also perhaps how our sleep may be impacted by what we're going through as human beings and I'm sure a lot of people listening at some point in their life will have had issues with their sleep you know, whether it's more formal things like insomnia or a few disturbed days or nights, or we've just had a heat wave, haven't we? So mm. many people, I'm sure, <laughs> the beginning of this week would have struggled. So can you share some of your wisdom around why is it important to think about sleep? How can it impact us? Yeah, I think exactly. like you were describing there, so sleep, it's usually or previously was considered a bit of an afterthought when it comes yeah. to yeah. It's just something that everyone does. It's like a tick box, like asking about people's appetite or something like that. But um, the research that we know now is that sleep gets affected by quite a lot of things, both mental health, both in day-to-day -day life. You mentioned about the heat. And yeah. I think even in this last week or two, um, people that I know who don't have any trouble, no, one seemed, no one's particularly slept that well because of the heat, you know. 
And it kind of fits with all the science we know about sleep medicine, that we have to be cool in order to sleep and, and so on. And, you know, we might end up talking about that. Um, but a lot of the research that's coming up more recently, sleep in the last maybe 10, 15 years has had a lot more research focused on it. And some of that research that's come out has been really interesting. So a lot of the research is showing that now if you improve people's sleep, it improves people's depression and anxiety without even touching right. or trying to intervene with any yes. of uh, any of those anxiety or depression strategies. We know that um, if we don't sleep very well, it's harder to regulate our emotions the next day again, whether we have trouble with our mental health or not. So I'm sure we all have experience of feeling groggy the next day and yes. feeling less motivated. Um, but for people with mental health problems, I mean, we know that stress tends to be a trigger for for exacerbation or for, for things getting worse again. And um, I often describe it as being a little bit like a kind of bucket where, I mean, we have that kind of stress bucket idea where it fills up with water, but lack of sleep actually can shrink even temporarily, the size of that bucket and make us more prone to experiencing difficulties due to stress. You know, if we have a stressful life, which 2022, it's pretty much impossible to get rid of stress, isn't it? You know, day to day stress. If we if we manage okay with it, just a few nights of bad sleep can make that regular day to day stress feel overwhelming and you know yeah. send us into difficulty. I'm just thinking Wednesday this week. So after Sunday was fairly hot and then we had the kind of official heat wave. Just looking at, you know, coffee cues, my temper, my very short fuse, just from a couple of nights of disturbed sleep, the heat, the impact of that on our bodies as well. And then our cognition. And that was just, you know, considered, I consider that a transient temporary thing. So, you know, when we look at something like the pandemic, particularly, I know that I got asked a lot on interviews about, why is everybody struggling to sleep? And I think what's really important and the reason I wanted to have you on here today is to try and help people understand that it's important to learn about your own sleep, but your own formulation, what can impact yeah. it. And you mentioned something there again about, you know, kind of, we'd call it in psychology relapse, that we may have quite okay sleep patterns, but then something might happen externally or internally that then might lead to a dip in the quality of our sleep or sleep routine, whatever that may be. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's, there's the kind of two types of problem that occur. So if we start having trouble with our sleep, there's the direct effects. Like you say, we feel a bit, you know, we might feel a little bit, a bit more angry or frustrated or we don't, um, we don't function as well. But yeah. then there's also the type two or the indirect effects, which is where we start worrying about our sleep, where we, we, we've not right. been sleeping. What if I don't sleep tonight? I won't be able to function if I don't sleep. And with that, we can get into like cycles or loops uh, that happen quite commonly where it gets to the point we start worrying about our sleep. And I think one really important concept is that we need to remember that in order to sleep well, we have to feel safe and calm and relaxed and protected. Yes. And if we've got all these thoughts about what if I don't sleep, I'm not going to sleep, I won't function tomorrow you know, we really activate that threat system part of our brain that then just cortisol starts flooding our system and you know, it's like stress. It's one of the it's one of the worst things really for sleep. It's this idea about why would mice sleep if the thought cats were around, right? Yes. You know, it's like if we think there's danger, whether it's 
um, perceived or whether it's genuine danger, it doesn't make evolutionary sense for us to fall asleep. Absolutely. Do you know what? I'm sure that the majority of people will not know this, you know, that unless you're working in the industry, you're doing a job like we do, that actually that kind of secondary worry, you know, the what ifs. I'm trying to think when I was working in the NHS and getting up at like six in the morning, quite often that really resonated with me. Then I can remember waking up at four o'clock and thinking, well, what's the point now? I'm going to get asleep. And then, oh, when I do that IQ test, I'm not going to do that very well. And the whole day is going to be wrong. And sometimes it, you could catapult to three months down the line. And I'm not going to be good at my job. And, and it's so easy to get sucked in that rabbit hole or that vortex, isn't it? So there is something, isn't there, about the kind of psychoeducation then? And I guess that's what's useful about today is that trying to help people understand what the brain does that helpful yeah. stroke and helpful friend so i guess you know if you're struggling a with sleep and then your appraisal of the fact that you're having issues with your sleep how might that affect us as human beings in terms of maybe our moods our emotions but also our bodies as well i'm thinking yeah well when we don't sleep very well i mean we know that there's there's um there's kind of two types, really, broadly speaking, of sleep. There's what's called non-REM sleep, which used to be considered four stages, but now it's really three. three stages three and four were quite similar, so they're grouped together now. Right. And that non-REM sleep is really for our physical recovery. So our tissues are healing. Um, our hormone levels are being kind of normalized and stabilized. Right. Um, and we have what's called REM sleep, which is usually the one most people have heard of. And that's really comes after non-REM sleep in the sleep cycle. And that's more the mental recovery. That's where our memories are getting filtered, any learning is being consolidated from a day. Our concentration and our attentional pool is being refilled, ready for the next day. So we tend to find that if we're struggling with our sleep, I've worked with athletes and you know that kind of sleep is really important for them for the recovery so they can perform yeah, well. Imagine. You know, yep. and train well the next day. Um, similarly, if we're not sleeping, the cognitive effects can affect us just in regular day-to-day -day life. You know, we find that our memory is not as good. We find our concentration is not as good. And um, there was an interesting study done with airport security staff where um, people who only work night shift, they were asked to monitor what was going through the x-rays. The researchers found that on a night they missed more contraband items, you know, Gosh. more things like, and some were quite blatant, things like guns, you know, that were actually gun shapes and all of that. Um, they missed more of those than they did during the day. And what we've got to remember is that these are people who were used to only working night shift. So it's not that we do adapt fully to functioning at night. It is more that our brain and body goes into a bit of a, a change, a biological change at night. Um, it goes into a process, what's called down regulation, which is where some of our problem solving, our planning, um, what we call in the industry as the executive functions, they tend to switch off a little bit. So even if we are used to working or functioning at night, we're still never as good as we are during the day. Because that's so interesting. You might think, you know, as a psychologist, my first thought was, I wonder if those people are new tonight. She's then, what's the change? But, you know, when we're looking at variables, actually, that's just the way it is. And presumably, then, what does that mean for change? You know, is there a possibility then that that is going to stay the same? Hmm. Well, we kind of experience it 
ourselves as well if we to a smaller degree where if we wake up on a night and you know, it's two in the morning we can't sleep we find that we do tend to kind of worry more catastrophize more um and then the next day in broad daylight we think to ourselves why was i even thinking about that right you know it's like our brain does work quite differently but certainly when it comes to everyday function um, we are biologically disposed to have all of our important, stressful and functional stuff during the day. And the nighttime or dark periods has been for relaxation and recovery. There's so, literally, I'm just thinking we could probably do four or five episodes on this, couldn't we? There's something for me about helping people understand then that you know, a few disturbed nights might be very different from someone who has, I suppose we could always go into that little bit, what the difference is between insomnia. There might be people listening that think, well, what's insomnia versus, you know, a few disturbed nights? When might I need to look at interventions, for example? But just how much sleep can have an impact on our mind and our bodies and perhaps not everyone would, would realize that do you think is it useful is it something we can do in a kind of snapshot just i'm just thinking if there's people listening going well actually what's the difference between insomnia and maybe more temporary sleep problems when might something become problematic yeah. in terms of sleep deprivation or disturbed sleep well according to the textbooks insomnia is when it's been several weeks or, or so of it and it has to impact on like day-to-day function and yeah. you know whether that's relationships our occupational function or just activities that we're doing um usually though people find that if they're having trouble with their sleep they tend to want a solution a bit quicker you know yes. and um yes. For most people, the journey starts with going to their GP, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, what we kind of know now, though, about a lot of sleeping medication is that there's there's several things about it. So one of the things about sleeping medication is that, similar with alcohol, it does help us often fall asleep quicker, but it really knocks off the quality of the sleep. Right. And one thing that isn't really talked about so much is that we live very much in a society where we focus on number of hours, but it's actually the quality that's more important. And what we know both from the research, from people's experience, and probably even our own experience, if we reflect on it, that six or seven hours of good quality consolidated sleep is better than eight or nine hours of broken sleep, right? And um, we need to bear in mind that nights of not sleeping very well especially if there's something happened you know if we've been out that night or if there's a big thing the next day it's perfectly normal to have a few sleepless nights even good sleepers have that i guess for a lot of people the problems seem to start when either they have a run of bad nights and they might start getting into some dysfunctional or unhelpful patterns where they're trying to deal with it yes um and then that in itself becomes problematic um, all problems start when they start kind of ruminating or dwelling or thinking about it. What does this mean? And that's when we get into that cycle, that what if thing that you were talking about earlier. What if I don't sleep tonight? And 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 that in itself, I mean, you know, a big part of it, it's not just the behavioral, what can I do to sleep better? A big part of it's also that kind of cognitive, how to, to get people out of those patterns of thinking or how to help them get out of those patterns of thinking. It is. I think sometimes people might be, I know if you, you you Google sleep, for example, a lot of what you read, 
are very practical logistical things which are very useful and I know you did um we should say that actually the reason that we kind of got to know each other is through an international toolkit that's another psychologist set up and a few of us just helped during the pandemic didn't we with, with mm. things to help people get through including sleep and you did a really fantastic talk didn't you on sleep um and looking at you know practical tools but also the difference between a psychologist talking about that if it's all right to say is bringing it all together looking at the formulation behind it what can you do to manage things like that worry not just about the logistics of your bedroom and, and those things as well but there was a couple of there's so many points I want to pick up on but there was a couple of things that you'd said there there's something isn't there around am I allowed to use that word normalizing the fact that sometimes we have disturbed sleep so as you say we've all been out perhaps you know I had a later night or uh, I went to a concert last night for example and I was so kind of thrilled to be there and it was the first one since the pandemic that actually it took me ages to fall asleep I'm a little bit more tired today which is ironic because I'm talking to you um but that's okay I'm not hooking with that and going oh no why didn't I get to sleep and it must have been about 2 a.m the time I mm. fell asleep because I was thinking about what I'd heard and how good it was and that's okay and kind of normalizing when sleep maybe has a is it dip the right word we'd use or we have a little bit of a roadblock? And I'm also thinking about if there are people who perhaps have what we call a spiky profile, so they might have a few nights of disturbed sleep every now and again. But if you've had perhaps a period where it really has caused you worry, is how some people might hook with that, oh no, is it happening again? Is it going to be mm. like large? Does that make sense? So that difference between just normalizing little blips in sleep, but also when people may have had real impacts and worry this yeah. is happening again, but it might just be one of those little blips. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it fits a lot with my experience of working with people in the sense that, right. you know, yeah. at the beginning, we, we we obviously do a really good thorough assessment, not just of like the sleep environment, but also as well, um, their worries or thoughts about sleep and some of their routines, their, you know, their patterns that they do. And quite often it starts off people, you know, what can I do on a night to sleep better? But what we've got to remember is that we don't we don't run to a 16-hour daytime life and then an eight-hour nighttime life. We run to a 24, it's actually a 24-hour point two cycle, the circadian rhythm. So what that means is that what we do during the day affects how we sleep at night. And yes. similarly, just like how we sleep at night affects how we feel the next day and, and so on. And the reason I always like draw attention to that is because a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, what we found is they would work right up until bedtime and then expect to be able to just get into bed and fall asleep straight away. And yes. We think about it that we need a wind down time. We need time for our brain and body to be able to say, right, that's done. I'm going to gradually transition into this relaxing state now. So we, we do find that at the very beginning, um, when we've done that assessment, we find that... Um, one of the best things to do is to try and hit a big reset button. You know, we talk about things like using the bed only for sleep so that we're maintaining yes. that sleep bed association. We talk about things like um, making sure that you're only going to bed when you're tired, which is often quite later. And, you know, the number of times that um, I seem to tell people that they're going to bed too early and then they say, oh, but I go to bed. I've always gone to bed at this time, you know. Yes, and it, it, that's part of yeah. the problem. It, it's not just what causes the sleep problem, it's what keeps it going. And I often describe it as being a little bit like, um, you know, going to bed when you're not tired. It's a bit like hanging around the dinner table when you're not hungry. 
um, you know, or hanging around the fridge when you're not hungry. So really, we only want to be going to bed when we're tired or when we, we, we send sleep medicine when you're sleepy, which is different from when you're tired. Sleep is where that falling on the sofa, falling asleep on the sofa type feeling. Um, but when we get all those sort of things right and we hit that reset button, it, it gives a bit of a kind of clean slate and then we can start to look at what it is that's maybe been affecting that person's sleep. And it's not forever, you know, it's not that people can never lie in bed watching TV or they must never drink coffee. It's more getting rid of these things so that we can get those routines and habits just right. And then those things can be gradually introduced. And quite often people will learn in that way that, oh, actually, whenever I drink alcohol, that affects my sleep. Or if I have coffee, even at 10 in the morning, I don't sleep well that night. So people get to learn what it is that causes their own sleep problem. And that becomes really important in normalizing, because if we're able to say to ourselves, right, it's a birthday party tonight, I'm going out, I'm going to have a drink, I know I probably won't sleep that well. It makes it more okay, and we, we, don't, we don't worry about it. I think it's when we don't have an explanation for it that that's when we start to panic because we feel less in control. And sleep is a very unpredictable thing anyway. You know, we go chasing it, but really the best we can do is set the conditions and allow sleep to come to us. I love that. There's so much of what you said there. I just think will make sense for so many people. That What you said a few minutes ago as well, actually, in terms of, you know, I was kind of brought up with this magic eight hours and you know sometimes you can get really hooked with that rather than actually until you start to learn about circadian rhythm and kind of finding actually what what do I need moving away from that but actually you know so much about just giving yourself permission to be in the moment let's enjoy this party let's enjoy this late night thing and that actually doing some of the legwork for you yeah I think sometimes you know just helping people to identify when we're maybe overthinking about thing and what do we know about brains we talk about this all the time don't we I'm sure some of my patients are like we've talked about this so much but I don't think you can over talk about the fact that brain quite often goes into threat mode we don't like not being in control so if it wants to know when are we going to go to sleep how long are we going to be asleep or how's tomorrow going to be um and that actually then from what you're saying causes more of an issue yeah and I guess remember the brain it's a problem solving machine right that's kind of what it's for and if we have a problem, i.e. we can't sleep and our brain then starts trying to think about how to solve it, it's a bit like trying to solve the problem with the thing that's causing it. You know, I mean, overthinking is one of the big things that stops people from sleeping. Yeah. And it's obviously not as simple as saying, oh, don't think about it. You know, I mean, that'd be, that'd be stupid to say that. But we do get really hooked into this idea about if I think about it, then I'll be able to solve it. But with sleep, it's kind of more the opposite. It's that we need to relax. We need to let it come. Like our brain and body, it's perfectly capable and actually predisposed to take sleep without us having to chase it. It's just that we create the yeah. barriers sometimes by thinking about it all a bit too much or, or doing stuff that might get in the way of good sleep. So I think there's so much that people could take away today, particularly from this idea of trying to recognise when we're in threat mode or that panic showing up. I'm going to bring the dreaded P word in, but during the pandemic, so many people experienced sleep issues. And I guess that's a whole other podcast in itself, I'm sure. But I'm just wondering, 
the role of panic and threat mode in that pandemic when a lot of people were trying to adapt their lives, work at home, a lot of people were dealing with a lot more because they could fit lots of Zooms in. They weren't having those natural transition points in the day. We couldn't go out. We restricted for a lot of it, weren't we? Do you have a, a nugget of advice on what it is about the pandemic that might have impacted our sleep and, and what it is people might have had showing up in terms of their threat mode, particularly during that time rather than other times? Yeah, I think that um, I think it's a really good example about how we how a big change can really knock us for six. I mean, all through that time. I actually saw very few people who were worried about catching COVID. Even the people with health anxiety or OCD, they weren't particularly worried about catching COVID. It was more um, the indirect effects of not being able to go out, um, yes, not being yeah. able to work, not being able to go to the gym, um, especially during that first lockdown where we could only go out for exercise and it, you know, it was limited yeah. to 20 minutes. And what we gradually saw were that People would start on a slippery slope. Their bedtime, or they're getting out of bedtime, I should say, would start getting later and later. And then they would start bringing daytime activities into bed. They would start, you know, they would maybe start, they'd get up, still be in their pyjamas and maybe start working. But then that would gradually move into, I'll start, you know, I'll just put, bring the laptop next to the bed and then set it up in bed. So they'd start working in bed. And then they would start, oh, well, I'll have breakfast while I'm working. And, you know, they'd be there drinking coffee or whatever whilst That's working nice. in bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it did become a really slippery slope for people where um, it's understandable because, you know, I mean, we like comfort. Human beings like comfort, yeah. don't we? Yeah. The, the problem is, though, just like we mentioned a bit earlier, we need to have a bit of a separation between bed and non-bed because... We we normally have a sleep bed association. If you think about what a bed is, there's nothing particularly special about the bed. It's just a piece of wood with a soft covering that we lie on and then sleep. But we do build up associations really easily and really quickly. So that piece of wood with the soft covering, that becomes associated with the place we sleep. If we start doing non-sleep stuff in there, Things like eating, things like watching TV, things like reading, things like working, especially using our phones. Um, we start breaking down that sleep bed association. We actually often start building what's called a stress bed association, where the bed starts to become associated with stress. Interesting. And yeah. this this is part of the reason why in sleep medicine we say even if it's middle of the night, if you're not asleep, then get out of bed because the more we spend more time we spend in bed getting agitated and frustrated trying to sleep again we're building that stress bed association and the getting out of bed it's largely to break that cycle you know it, it's to do that and one of the things that we have to do that's actually really really helpful is again make the bed somewhere that's only used for sleep and relaxation we usually say, I mean, yeah, we sleep medicine. We, we usually say sleep, sex and relaxation. We only say sex is okay because it helps people relax. But anything else that isn't sleep or relaxation, we kind of want to be out of the bed. It can still be done in the bedroom. I mean, not ideally, but during the pandemic, I saw a lot of people who lived in one bedroom or studio. I was going to say that, yeah, when the kind of logistics or the setting. Yeah. And I know actually some people 
that I'm working with now with hybrid working I was going to bring that in actually that a lot of people are choosing to work at home and there's many benefits to that for some people but they are still in spaces in the home if they're especially if they're living with someone else who's working from home or they've got kids that there are many people working in bedrooms and during the pandemic particularly we couldn't pop anywhere and buy a desk or do much with furniture could we so a lot of people were sat on beds using that as a desk as you say and that association yeah. building up and and if you say you know when we're looking at basic kind of sleep hygiene during the pandemic you couldn't suddenly go out and buy blackout blinds or you couldn't you couldn't source things as easily so people who did notice things early on in the pandemic and I know for my own case though like, when we're looking at basics we're a bit more limited in what we could do about those basics because some people were going I have to work in the bedroom homeschool is going on in the only other room that we have or someone else is working in the kitchen so then immediately at night time that room's associated with the day's meetings well people saying visually as well I had patients I was working with there it is there's the monitor staring at me at night and we did work about you know just getting a blanket and just throwing it over or you know at the end of the day I did work with some of my patients it's probably going to sound really silly but it worked I'd get them to get changed in an outfit to zoom to work and then get changed after they finished at the chair <laughs> leave the clothes on that chair or even change put outside shoes on <laughs> do your zooms take them off at the end there's little things for people where they really were limited really helped you know just thinking outside the box a bit but I'm thinking as well because one of the things I am still seeing are sleep issues I don't actually know we've had this conversation this morning with someone else what we call this phase of the pandemic really it doesn't really have a name does it but I'm still seeing a lot of people with sleep issues and I'm just wondering whether you have any insight as to whether that might be related to the pandemic or I guess we've had a lot of world events but I'm certainly seeing a lot more sleep issues than I have in my 20-year career which I just find interesting and whether yeah. you've noticed anything similar I think people are becoming really switched on to the effects of lack of sleep now because yeah, because of point. the pandemic yeah. um, and the effects that it had. I think as well, there is like this more hybrid working approach and so more people are working from home. And I guess, I mean, a lot of people, they don't switch off at five o'clock anymore or they don't switch yes. off at half five yeah. anymore. You know, that their laptops there or their phones there, which usually has their work emails on there. And it becomes so easy just to just to check. So I think that there has been this carryover from where people are still maybe bringing some stress into their early evening more than they used to do. And I think what you were saying earlier about changing clothes, I think that's a great idea. You know, I, I was suggesting that to people myself and making the room look a bit different as well, even if it's just moving plants or getting rid of the office chair. Yes. Or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, just to create that separation. I think at the minute, a lot of people are feeling quite stressed about, you know, the financial situation. Yes, and I'm yeah. saying, I mean, nothing causes insomnia like worry. When I mentioned at the beginning about anxiety, depression, and sleep being like a three-legged stool, we know that one of the main drivers of anxiety is dwelling and going over stuff and thinking and overthinking. And similarly, if we've got that stuff on our mind on a night, our brain is in threat mode. Our, you know, it's 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 sensing this danger. And again, why would mice sleep if they thought cats were around? It's, I'm going to take that away with me. <laughs> I think that's a really good metaphor, isn't it? And I'm thinking just if we look at this, this year, you know, war in Ukraine, financial crisis, pandemic, I'm just wondering whether people are just almost getting to a point where they're thinking what's next, you know, that life's thrown quite a few curveballs our way, hasn't it? 
I really like that idea as well, though, that perhaps people are becoming a bit more aware of mm. sleep and thinking about it more. And I guess one of the reasons we were both attracted to the toolkit that we were working on is that you can get information out there that it's a lot of it was psychoeducation based as well as just reactive how to cope with things that maybe people are thinking about it and then I certainly have patients who say to me now I've learned about it I'm noticing more and I don't know whether that's helpful or unhelpful but in the long term it's helpful you know you might sometimes it is easier to avoid for a little bit isn't it and sometimes things go away but with things like sleep if you ignore it if you sit on it quite often the problem doesn't go away and sometimes it can get worse and then sometimes as well for some people it does have an impact on their job their ability to do their job and some people really need to have that sharp cognitive functioning Um, and if you throw in as well I'm not a huge fan of the term but it's quite useful but the zoom fatigue that people have talked about and there's been some research on that people aren't having those natural breaks in the working day they might be going from zoom to zoom to zoom and I certainly know I've had people I've worked with who've just spent the whole eight nine hours of the day on zoom and you're working so much harder to read people online and maybe straining for audio probably sat in the same position probably not moving or even aware of how much you've drunk how much you've mm-hmm. hydrated if you throw that on top i think it's really good and that's why i wanted to have you on today to kind of help people know that difference between perhaps you know reactive things things that we can do if we're noticing sleep issues but also what can we be doing even if we don't have sleep issues to try and promote good quality sleep get into good habits and routines yeah. and do you have a little nugget that you could share with us do you I like to ask all my guests for what I call their one adversity takeaway is there something that people can take away today in terms of sleep yeah I think that it's always useful to think about I mean I just mentioned about sleep quality over a number of hours I think that that is really key because it just opens up a lot of other areas or encapsulates a lot of areas Um, Because people often talk about, and even in sleep medicine, we talk about having a routine. But obviously on the internet, it's very big about, you know, having a certain bedtime and all that. And it's good to have a routine, but it's got to be the right routine. So I could start going to bed at three o'clock every afternoon and that would be a routine, but it wouldn't necessarily be a helpful routine or a good one. So it's always good to look at what time you're going to bed. If you're having trouble falling asleep or you find yourself waking up during the night, a good place to start is always going to bed later. And often when I tell people who have insomnia that we want them to start going to bed later, they they usual. I mean, obviously we do it kind of looking at all the data and all of that for the number of hours that they sleep and the amount of time that they spend in bed. You know, there's actually a figure called sleep efficiency, which is the percentage of time spent in bed actually asleep. And ideally, we want that to be around 85%, which is about 15 minutes between going to bed and falling asleep and 15 minutes between waking up and getting up based on an eight-hour block of sleep. But quite often, we find people's sleep efficiencies might be around like 60, 50. I've I've seen people with sleep efficiencies of 30%, which if you think about that, like 10 hours in bed, only three hours of sleep. Quite often, when we look at those numbers and we say to people, you know, Part of it is you're spending too much time in bed. You're going to bed too early. They understandably panic. You know, I'm not sleeping and, you know, you want me to, to not go to bed earlier. And I also remind people that we're not actually giving people less sleep. We're just giving them less time in bed. There's a big difference between the two. It if really we give is, less yeah. time in bed, then again, it's a chance to build up that sleep bed association. We have a natural sleep drive. That means if we go to bed later, we're going to be more tired. Um, everything points in that direction, as opposed to one of the things that people often do, 
when they're not sleeping well. And it makes common sense. You know, if I'm not sleeping well, I'll go to bed earlier, then at least I'll get some sleep. But it doesn't work like that. It just means we lie in bed awake and getting more annoyed, again, breaking down that sleep bed association and building up a stress bed association. So I think it's really important and a good place to start for most people is go to bed a bit later. So much of what you've said makes so much sense. And even as a psychologist, there's some days where I fall into the, oh, I better go to bed a bit earlier today because I was up late. So I'm even thinking this evening, right, maybe I should have a bit more sleep because I was up later. But trying to catch that, you know, some of it on paper could look really logical, but actually, surely it makes more sense to go to bed just that bit earlier. But I think that could be really quite profound for a lot of people listening to just think outside that box to reframe, as we say in psychology sometimes. Now, There's probably people listening going, I need more. I need more of this guy. (laughs) If people want to find you, find more about what they do, where can they find you? How can we get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK, and um, I see people face-to-face in in our clinic um, in Newcastle. But I also do a lot of work online. Um, I do a lot of national and international work um, and um, I mean, that's something that was really big before the pandemic. Um, there's not many sleep focus in the UK. So uh, yes, yeah. you know, there's always quite a lot of um, a lot of opportunity there. Um, so our website is um, newcastlepsychologist.co.uk. And I can be reached at um, stuart at newcastlepsychologist.co.uk. Um if you want to send a message, I will reply to all of them. Um, I do have a policy that I will reply, even if it's something I can't help with. Normally, we try and point you in the direction of someone who might be able to. Um, but if it is something that um, you know that you want to work with me on, then normally what I do is just arrange a short five or ten minute call, just to again make sure it is something that I can help with before we schedule anything, and then you know we'll kind of see where we get to with it. I'm sure after listening to this, there'll be a lot of people very, very interested in that. And I'm also thinking, while we're recording, I mean, I need to get you on to talk about anxiety at some point as well, if you're interested. Um, Because what I think actually would be really nice is that crossover, as you say, between sleep and anxiety and other conditions as well. Um, Stuart, thank you so much. I'm so delighted that you came on. And and for us as well, I've said this with a few guests, we do bits of work together, but we haven't met. (laughs) So it's really nice to meet you face-to-face, even if it is through a screen. So thank you so much for your time. And hopefully you'll come back on to talk about anxiety soon as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have spoken to you and to your audience. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you step at a time.